Welcome back to episode six of Roots of Revelation. This is the podcast that dives into the scripture behind the scripture of Revelation. Today's topic is greetings to the seven churches. As I look at my email program that I've opened up here, probably looks a lot like yours. It has a field that says to that tells you you put in the person's email address there. So it's going to, it has a CC. That's where you can copy people that may, it may affect them. It's not to them, but it may affect them. And it even has blind copy um, that you can send the message to people. And you're not even saying their name doesn't even appear on it. Um, but they still get the message. And then there's a subject and it tells you what, what, what is this about? Why are you, why are you contacting this person? And then there is a from, and, uh, it'll probably have your email address built in there. And that's kind of the way we communicate, isn't it? And that's been going on for a while. In fact, today's topic is greetings to the seven churches. So in this, in this, if this were an email program, the two field would be to seven churches in Asia, which are actually in modern day Turkey. And the, those are the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We'll talk more about that later. But at the time it might've also copied other churches that were churches at that time in the blind copy. You might also put us because we're reading the book of revelation. We're kind of blind copied on this letter, this email. And the subject, like I said, is the greeting to all these churches from, and the, and the from is God. All three members of the Godhead, in fact. So let's look at the greetings to the seven churches that, that God sent to them and just dive in a little further. And and we do this, uh, we're talking about revelation chapter one, verses four through eight. And, and I know, right, right. We're, we're in episode six of this podcast and we're getting to the eighth verse of the, <laughs> of the first chapter. But, uh, you know, I guess I should just put a, an emphasis here. Maybe this is kind of a nerdy podcast. I admit that. And that's why it's called Revelations Roots, because we talk about verses all over the Bible. We talked about how Revelation has over 500 different uh, references to other verses in the Bible, which is more than any other um, any of the other New Testament books put together. So Revelations Roots run all over the place, and you can kind of get yourself going down a rat hole or ra- rabbit hole maybe is a better way to say it with a lot of these topics. So maybe I'm doing that too much, but the name of the podcast is revelations roots. So, uh, if, I guess if you want a short version to this today, we might say that in revelation chapter one, verses four through eight, John gives a greeting to seven churches in Asia from God, the father, the Holy spirit and Jesus Christ. And the greeting lists attributes of all three members of the Trinity. And it tells us rewards for those who follow Jesus, but it also gives warnings for those who do not. 
So if, if you only have a couple minutes, there's the basic summary of it. But let's talk about this in a little further detail, if you got time for that. So as far as the two, who's the letter to? Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, greets seven churches in the Roman colony of Asia, which again is modern-day Turkey. It's not the continent of Asia itself, really. It's just kind of modern-day Turkey. And these churches, like I said a minute ago, are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And each of these churches received their own specific report card from Jesus in chapters 2 and 3 that uh, we'll get to in later episodes if if this podcast continues on that far. Uh, And the greeting um, and the report cards are definitely to those churches. And like I said, other churches in the area that are not mentioned, there was more than seven churches in Asia at the time. And then there's the church in Rome and churches in Greece and, uh, you know, all around the Middle East. But he's talking to just these seven. So you might say all the other churches might be the CC. And then we, modern day people in America, might be the BCC. Okay. And one of the reasons, why would he say, there are seven churches. Why would he write letters to seven churches? And if you if you look back on episode five, we talked about symbolic numbers. And it's possible, I'm not saying for definitely, but it's possible that since there are seven churches listed here, we said the number seven at that point was sometimes for perfection and sometimes for completeness. And it might be, some people think, that the number seven in these churches tells us, tips us off that it's talking about the universal church everywhere for all time. All the churches, all the Christians everywhere. Maybe you think that, maybe you don't. Maybe you listen to episode, episode five, think about it, decide for yourself. But it's possible. As far as the from, this is the Godhead. Uh, so let's break this down a little bit. John is the human author, and he wrote the message down, but he's given it by, it says, all the members of the Trinity. So uh, we got the God, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ are all mentioned. So let's break that a, a little bit down and talk about the description that they're given. Um, it says, God the Father is described as who is and who was and who is to come. And this kind of sounds like Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when he told Moses he was, I am who I am. And that that name tells us that God is not bound up by time and his nature never changes. He's just, I am who I am. And it also sounds kind of like, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4, when it says, uh, I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. And his eternal power is also displayed in Isaiah 43, 10, which says, before me, no God was formed, 
nor shall there be any after me. And in fact, Isaiah goes on further in uh, chapter 44, verse 6, with, uh, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And there's certainly other examples, but the last one that I'll share is Isaiah 48, 12, which says, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. So I think we can get the point that the statement made in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 is not something that John just thought up and wrote down on impulse, but it was consistent with all of Scripture within the Old Testament. Again, the roots of Revelation run all through the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is uh, described as the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, that can be confusing. Um, seven spirits. thought the Holy Spirit was one spirit. But however, we know that Revelation chapter 3, verse 6, and 3, 13, and Ephesians 4, 4, all refer to a singular spirit. So since we know there's only one Holy Spirit, are we supposed to see that the number seven is describing the completely perfect nature of the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure I kind of lean that way, but maybe, again, you study it and decide for yourself. And then we, we spent a lot of time here talking, most of the rest of the time, talking about Jesus Christ. John describes Jesus Christ in chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And Psalm 89, verse 37, had promised that his throne would be established forever and like the moon, it would be a faithful witness to the skies. So let's talk about the faithful witness for a minute. He told us in chapter 1, verse 2, that Jesus bore witness to the word of God. And he did this even when he knew it would cost him his life. Because we're told uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, that when he said it, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, he made the good confession. So he could have denied that he was the king. That was the, what he said was that he was, are you the king of the Jews? And he could have denied that he was, and Pilate would have likely let him go. But admitting that he was the king allowed the Jews something to, to use to pressure Pilate into defending his decision before the Roman king Tiberius Caesar. Because ultimately, when Jesus was crucified for what the charge was uh, written out above him was that he was the king of the Jews. He was a king when there's supposed to be only one king, and that's Caesar. So he was perceived as a threat to Caesar, and that's something Pilate could not allow. That kind of that's what gave him his justification for crucifixion. So Jesus expects Christians to pick up their crosses, our crosses, and follow him in being faithful witnesses. And Revelation chapter two, verse thirteen said that Christians in Pergamum did not deny the faith, and that a man named Antipas was a faithful witness and was killed for doing so. 
And Jesus congratulated them in this. And, and during his report on the church in Pergamum in chapter 2, he commends faithful witnesses. Uh, and he also does that in uh, chapter 12, verse 11, by saying, they have conquered him, which is Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And the last verse I'll uh, mention about this is chapter 20, verse 4, when it says, John saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. So clearly, Jesus values our sacrifices when we, that we make in being faithful witnesses of his name. So he's a faithful witness. He expects us to be faithful witnesses. Now, he is also mentioned as being the ruler of the kings of the earth. And Psalm 89.27 had prophesied that he would do this when it said, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Jesus was crucified after saying to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He's basically saying, Pilate, you're not in charge here. God's in charge. And that's, that's uh, one of those, again, one of the statements that got him killed. His claim of being king was a threat to Caesar in 33 AD. However, three days after his crucifixion, he became the firstborn among the dead, the firstborn of the dead, by defeating death through his resurrection, and now he lives forever. And over 2,000 years later, Billions of people still call themselves Christians. Now, on the contrary, Tiberius Caesar was strangled to death four years later in 37 AD, and his body was dumped in a river. So ask yourself this, which of these kings is greater? The answer is in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, when we are told that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of guys like Caesar. He's not under him. He's way over him. So while we're talking about kings, we're his kingdom and we're his priests. So to quote a, a song that a lot of kids sing in church, Jesus loves you. This you know because Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 tells you so. That's my modification to that. It says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So being freed from our sins allows us to enter God's presence and for his Holy spirit to live in us. And that's all because Jesus loved us and died for us again. A key point there is Jesus loves us. Somebody loves you. Just remember that today. It's Jesus. Directly after the crucifixion, the, the curtain separating God and man was torn. And that meant that there was no longer separation between God and the followers of Jesus. Jesus' love for us changed everything. And so in the Old Testament, God's chosen people was the nation of Israel. And God was their king, and Israel was, the, was his kingdom. 
And if you read most of the Old Testament, and I won't even throw out verses here, can you just take a dart and throw it at any one point, and it's probably going to prove this point. Most of the Old Testament shows that Israel was never able to live up to this. But the cross changed everything forever. Because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 5, verse 10, they both make clear that Christians would now take over as his kingdom. And even those who were part of the kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament needed priests to make sacrifices for them. However, as Christians under the New Testament, we don't need priests anymore. And this is, this is the cool part. This is because his sacrifice made us priests. You see, in, in the new scheme of things, with the blood of Jesus covering us, we are priests. Think about that. So you are part of his kingdom and you are a priest. So the rest of the rest of this uh, episode here is going to talk about the announcement of the coming king. That's the way it reads in my Bible. The, again, that's not a scriptural heading. That's just um, the way it's listed in the paragraph is listed in, in my Bible. And Jesus came into the world as a baby in a manger. And he died as a criminal. Doesn't sound very impressive so far, right? But as coming back as the son of man, we're going to talk about that in a, few, a couple episodes, the almighty. The son of man, the almighty. Do you believe that? Because someday everyone will believe it. Because Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 through 8 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, notice that the description of God the Father used in 1, 4, is now applied to Jesus in chapter 1, verse 8, which shows his deity. Jesus will come back as the Lord to rule over all history, just like it was mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, that he would. And this will be what was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Again, I'm not listing out all these. I figured you can look these up. But that as the Son of Man, uh, the coming of the Son of Man during the day of the Lord. Again, we'll talk about the episode in another episode about the Son of Man. So the key takeaway from all this, as awesome and majestic as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, they love and care about us. And they sent greetings to the seven churches of Asia, perhaps to all Christians, that not only do they love us, but those who accept Jesus also become part of his kingdom and even priests within it. However, there's no sugarcoating that even those who do not accept him will come to know that he is the Almighty. And with that, I'm going to conclude this episode. Episode six, 
And I hope you have a wonderful day. And we'll see you in the next episode.